CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's Friday, June 30th, 2023, and this is Markets Daily from Coindesk. I'm Adam B. Levine here again with George Kaloudis for your Daily News Roundup. On today's show, we're talking Bitcoin, the big picture, top headlines, and more. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Bitcoin was up, but now it's back down sharply, and so too is Ether. It's a choppy day out there. Bitcoin's price move up came on the back of asset management giant Fidelity refiling paperwork for its spot Bitcoin exchange traded fund, or ETF. That news came in Thursday afternoon, and Bitcoin's price didn't move much, but an overnight rally took the price briefly above $31,000. This morning, however, a headline from the Wall Street Journal reads, SEC says spot Bitcoin ETF filings are inadequate. Cue the red. Back down we go. Of course, if you read past the headline, which the market certainly doesn't, and let's face it, neither do most people, you'll read that quote, the SEC told the exchanges that it returned the filings because they didn't name the spot Bitcoin exchange with which they are expected to have a surveillance sharing agreement or provide enough information about the details of those surveillance arrangements. Asset managers can update the language and refile, end quote. So the filings aren't inadequate because of the whole soul of the idea of the spot Bitcoin ETF, but rather because, well, the filing is inadequate. As we record the show, the price of Bitcoin is going haywire. I'd expect the filers to amend the language and refile. It's not doomsday yet. Take a breather, touch some grass, and we'll see y'all next week. On the topic of next week, a listener sent in a question about stablecoins, which I will address during my first show as the main host for Markets Daily. Make sure you tune in next Wednesday, July 5th to get that. Today's crypto market coverage comes courtesy of Coindesk Markets Analyst, Lila Ledesma. Bitcoin is currently trading at $29,595, while Ether is trading at $1,831 per token, according to the Coindesk Market Index. And shifting to traditional markets. In the US, we're green with the Dow Industrial Average, the S&P 500, and the Nasdaq Composite all up about 1%. In Europe, it's much the same, with the regional stock 600 adding 1.2%, London's FTSE 100 increasing by 1%, and Germany's DAX putting on 1.4%. In Asia, Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index is down 0.1%, the Shanghai Composite gained 0.6%, Japan's Nikkei 225 lost 0.1%. In commodities markets, Brent crude, that's international benchmark for oil, added 1%, trading hands at just over $75 per barrel. Gold is also up, having added 0.9% and is currently priced at $1,920 per troy ounce. First Republic has finally come back down, losing 3.9% 
but it's still up big on the week, now trading at 72 cents. Today's traditional market coverage draws from MarketWatch. Stay tuned for after the break when we'll take a look at some top headlines and a last word from our outgoing host. Back in a minute. Welcome back. Today is my last episode of Markets Daily and the start of the George Kaloudis era. Before I go, I'd like to take a moment to zoom in on what I think are the most important things to watch for and keep in mind as the next few years unfold. We live in an age of change, an age of disruption. We are each, at the same time, more empowered than any peoples ever have been in history, but also we're somehow trapped. Trapped in our own bubbles of perception, limitations, importance, just how high the stakes are, and even delusion. The internet and its evolutions have created a world that's never been more connected and open, while at the same time there have never been so many who are lonely in our busy planet of 8 billion people. We have access to information at a level that our grandparents could never have conceived, and yet we're unable to keep our own information private except through Herculean efforts. We are in many ways a paradox, the best of times and the worst of times. It's natural. In America and the world more broadly, we're at the end of a long cycle. And that is a natural thing. It's natural that powerful institutions created to solve problems that were important back when our grandparents were born aren't well suited to solving the problems we face today. It's natural that, lacking real solutions, these institutions are turned towards other purposes, their legacies put to work, and in many ways their credibility expended in pursuit of other goals. It's also natural that this inability to truly address our most pressing issues leads to disillusionment, fragmentation, and frustration. Because our world does have big problems, and we need real solutions. Systems that are built for the world as it is, not as it was, or as we wish it might be. That all of these things are true should be cause for celebration, while recognizing that everything comes at a cost. It's worth celebrating because cycles do end, systems do reset, and if history is any guide, the sun also rises. And that is incredibly important to keep in mind. Times are hard, but they won't always be, and there is a world ahead where what the U.S. Central Bank does is meaningless. It is obsolete and ineffective as a means of power and as a mechanism to remain in control. And it's not just the central bank, despite my focus on it. It is merely a prominent symptom of the sclerotic apparatus that claims to have the right to lie and manipulate the fundamentals of our world to accomplish its dubious aims, ostensibly in our names and on our behalves, no matter the cost to each of us. Times are hard, but that's because if times were easy, Few would care, and nothing would happen. And things are happening. The world is changing. Bitcoin specifically introduced a new form of internet-native hard money that has the usability advantages of government-issued currencies and beyond without the inevitable problems of that government seeing it as a funding mechanism and inevitably inflating the supply. It has the advantages of gold without the problems of storing and safeguarding it, with no need to trust custodians or auditors since balances can be made visible to anyone. This by itself is such a fundamental invention that it's hard to quantify. And yet, there's more. Blockchains beyond Bitcoin, more broadly, have introduced a new and powerful way to maintain and track internet-native ownership of really anything that doesn't rely on gatekeepers like Amazon, Valve Software, or Apple, and which has the potential to recreate the world of internet commerce as the wild bazaar that it was in the beginning, empowering upstarts to displace incumbents in a way that we haven't seen in decades, and which certainly doesn't exist today. And of course, AI, although simple today, is not properly understood in its broader implications. It is arguably a more disruptive technology than blockchains in that it puts instant expertise within reach of essentially anyone, where today that's reserved for the super rich. Right now, applications like ChatGPT require huge data centers to operate, and we are fundamentally using someone else's AI. 
But what you might not know is that it's already possible to run, on years-old personal computer hardware, AI agents which will not only have these capabilities, but be loyal to the individual operating them, rather than to some giant corporation. In five years, and quite possibly sooner, I expect that we will have AI chips in our phones, who will have agents or AI assistants, who will help each of us in whatever we want to accomplish, and perhaps more importantly, pay attention to and participate in. AI is likely to disrupt our world in even larger ways, and that's scary, but it's also important. If you work at a process-focused job today, my suggestion to you would be to imagine a world where the distance from idea to execution collapses to almost nothing. What would you do? Today, execution is an enormous challenge, but as these technologies become increasingly pervasive and grow in capability, that will likely cease to be true, creating a world where the best ideas can more easily become real, which compounds to create a future so different and so empowered as to be unimaginable. People often ask me where I'm concerned about AI, and the simple answer is that it's only a concern if governments misuse it, or worse still, try to ban it, which would restrict the technology's advantages to only those with proximity to power which is basically how things work today. Even today, though, I think that that opportunity has passed. There is an extremely vibrant and rapidly advancing open-source movement surrounding these technologies. And they are, in my view, likely to win the battle. So, the present is dumb, and the future is too bright to see. But we can see that there is a future. We can see that there's something around the bend. And we know that it has to be better. And so, that moment of collapse, of inevitable failure whether it comes from a formal default on the national debt or the effective abandonment of the dollar as a global reserve currency or the obvious establishment of and return to a multipolar world is not something to think of lightly. It's important and it could be dramatic. But it's also not something to fear or avoid. It is inevitable. And it will be the moment when the next cycle starts, which is a good thing. The start of the next cycle will be visible when the conflicts of today are over because the institutions that dominate our world have become irrelevant or even ceased to exist. And that will be a moment when anything is possible and will be followed by a decade or more where we'll all be caught up in the work of building. Not even really rebuilding because we won't build the same institutions. We'll build the ones that fit our modern needs. And while our leaders, the stewards who have and will oversee the end of this long cycle, will fight it, they will fail. It's inevitable. And that is natural. It's even good. It's been an honor to do this work, and after more than 1,400 episodes, I'm leaving you in good hands with George Kaloudis, who will seek to continue our tradition of attempting to illuminate the bigger picture, even as the show continues to evolve. To join me on my next adventure, which is likely to be periodic writings and podcasts on these topics, as well as a weekly show about the philosophical and practical implications of the AI era, you can head over to adambelevine.substack.com and subscribe for free. And... Thanks for listening. Thanks, Adam. We will miss you. To wrap us up, here are some quick stories for you heading into the long holiday weekend for you lucky, lucky U.S. listeners. As mentioned at the top of the show, Fidelity joined the rush to get a spot Bitcoin ETF approved. And this morning, it was revealed that the SEC notified the asset managers who have applied for a spot Bitcoin ETF that the applications aren't sufficiently clear and comprehensive. It's like we're back in school again and the teacher just told the entire class, hey, these aren't good enough you all have to redo them. Which makes sense. Bitcoin is just a teenager. It was bound to happen. As mentioned before, this was not the rejection. Yet. Coindesk's Stephen Alfer reports. And as a quick follow-up to yesterday's story about Coinbase versus the SEC. After the SEC sued Coinbase on June 6th, it looks like the SEC will present its response to Coinbase's first legal defense on July 13th, 
given the exchange filed its response 40 days before the deadline of August 7th. The early response has been called creative by legal analysts, but I call it hilarious. Coinbase just responded to the SEC, right? Well, according to the rules, the SEC had to file a response to Coinbase's defense by July 3rd. The SEC asked for an extension of three business days owing to the July 4th holiday weekend, which was granted by the court. I'm definitely speculating, but Coinbase putting its response in right before the big holiday to force SEC staffers, and let's face it, brand new interns, to work hard over the weekend wasn't in and of itself funny. What was funny though, was the SEC just said, no, we bend the rules to our liking. Also, we're sorta kinda like the government, so we wouldn't dare work on a holiday. Nice try Coinbase. Coindesk's Sam Reynolds and Amitabh Singh have the story here. We want to yet again extend our thanks to Adam B. Levine, both for starting this fabulous show back in 2019 and building it up to what it is now. You will be missed, Adam. Thank you for everything. And that's our show for today. Thank you very much for listening. Today's episode was edited by Ryan. And for those of you still with us, we'd love to hear what you think. You can send us an email at podcast at coindesk.com. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. 